0: Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rubab, and you are listening to the A R C Light program. Well, I do hope you enjoyed last week's uh, special. Uh, That was quite a time, I can tell you. But once again, I'm back in the studio, and rest assured, we are on constant vigil for Martian incursions. Mind you, if you do spot something alien lurking around your bins, please don't call us. Call the constabulary. Anyway, back to the mundanity of the usual here on the light programme. Coming up shortly is the mesmeric murmurings of slumber time stories. But first, it's that time we all look forward to so much. The listeners telephone in quiz. Can you guess what it is that I'm just... Now, nah, uh, once again, we have a rather eager listener calling. Uh, but who am I to complain? Uh, let's hope it's not a Martian calling this time, at least. Ahoy, hoy! This is Theodore speaking. Good day to you, listener. Are you prepared to play... Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Indeterminate origin operator... Connect me to the Albion Radiophonic Corporation, based in the capital city.
1: Papa, is that you?
0: Not so fast, Operator. I can't be sure I've ever met your mother on your maternal side. Don't get over familiar. It's not the Operator, Father. Uh, You've somehow miraculously managed to reach the ARC. this, This is your son, Theodore speaking. Theodore! Well, that's a coincidence. This is your British father trying to communicate with you, speaking to you on the telephone. What are you doing answering the same aforementioned apparatus? Uh, Well, it's kind of my job. Anyway, uh, what a surprise. I thought you were in the East Indies. Theodore! This is your British father, Chutney Rhubarb Junior, Calling you on an Indian telephone from the Indian East Indies in East India. Uh, Well, it's lovely to hear from you, Papa, but I'm kind of busy with my radio show. And unfortunately, you are not eligible to play. Can you guess what it is that I'm describing? Uh, Unless you're about to tell me you're not actually my father either. Theodore, this is your British father, Chutney Rhubarb Jr., calling you on an Indian telephone from the Indian East Indies in East India. Uh, Yes, I think we've established that. Uh, What do you want, Papa? Theodore, this is your British father, Chutney Rhubarb Jr., calling you on an Indian telephone from the Indian East Indies in East India. Can you hear me? Are you stuck on a loop? Yes, I can hear you. What do you want? No need to shout. Theodore, this is your British father. Stop that already. I can hear you, Papa. What is it you want? Theodore, your British mother has spoken to me on her British telephone. (sighs) Are you sure it was my actual mother? Last time we spoke, she disowned me. Theodore, the last time your British mother spoke to you on her British telephone, she was drunk on Netherlands gin. And she thinks she may have accidentally told you that you were adopted, purely to win three British shillings. Well, yes, that's exactly what did happen. Theodore, your British mother has telephoned me on her British telephone as she was afraid that might be the case. Your British mother has told me, your British father, that that was the Netherlands gin speaking. Your British mother and British father are your real British parents. I have rung you on an Indian telephone located in the Indian East Indies to inform you of this. Oh, well goodness, I can't keep up with all of this. Have you telephoned me from the East Indies, for the first time in over a year of my dad, just to tell me Mumsy was drunk when she told me that I wasn't her son? Oh, am I going to get an apology? Was well, a rather upsetting experience. Theodore, your British mother has expressed no wish to offer you an apology for your British discomfort when she telephoned me on her British telephone. No, well, I didn't really expect that much if I'm being honest. Is that it? Chin up, Theodore. I'm told that I'll be home by British Christmas Day. I can hardly wait. Is there no other message? Theodore! Your British mother wanted me to ask you what you would like for your British supper. Papa, are you really telling me that whilst on the telephone to you in the East Indies, Mumsy asked you to ask me what I'd like for supper? Welsh faggots. I beg your pardon? Welsh faggots for your British supper. That's what your British mother told me to ask you. And when I say ask you, I mean tell you. Glad I'm in the Indian East Indies, if I'm honest. Goodbye, Theodore. Goodbye then, Father. Mabel, have you been putting those funny Mexican mushrooms in the Ceylon tea again? Don't answer that. And now on the light programme, it's time once again for Slumber Time Stories. Read as always by yours truly, Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb. ARC presents part one of Ear Moo Bee by Darren Callow. The journey to the dilapidated pirate base in the desert was not as arduous as it might have been due to Captain Panfold's Smeggypants Smegatons, rather well-coordinated New Albion Nubian Expeditionary Force. These crack troops turned out to be rather more adept at desert manoeuvres than Smegaton had previously given them credit, and the desert hamsters, or fighting geckos depending on whom you asked, even managed to whistle up some camels. They also gathered up the spacesuits and any other useful-looking equipment from the downed ornithopter and squirrelled, or should that be, hamstered, it away somewhere in their baggage train. Alongside the camels, they also had a couple of desert haulers with large rubber wheels, an armoured car and a staff car in various states of roadworthiness. Sir Lushthorpe, Mrs Tickle and Ellen Hall managed to bag seats in the staff car. Rusty, Sneer and Bella Stranka were found space in a sand hauler behind which their still airworthy triplane was attached. This left Fitch and his uh, cantankerous arm to ride an equally if not slightly more cantankerous dromedary. Fortunately said creature was too stubborn to be put off by the arms attempting to signal right turn at every opportunity. Fitch equally stubbornly even managed to doze off for a little while. Their arrival after some five hours of transit was greeted by the pirates with an unexpected degree of relish. It seemed that, true to his word, Smegaton was popular with these rogues and almost immediately bottles of contraband were produced to toast their arrival. Ellen, however, tried hard to avoid making eye contact with the pirate queen just on the slim off chance that she might be recognised as the one who shut her in the sink and sent all her warhorses charging off into the sand, the last time she was there. Fortunately, it seemed the Pirate Queen had no such recollection of the misdemeanour and the only interaction was to be offered a cheery hug and a goblet of brandy or similar. It soon became clear, however, that their main purpose of reviving ear, moo, B was being somewhat subsumed in the bonhomie and was in danger of becoming drunk under the table before it really managed to get its elbows on the bar. Noting that Lushthorpe and Sneer were off to one side gazing at the ruined and sand-covered gantries and machinery scratching their heads, Ellen tried to sidle out of the reveries and join them. However, she found her way blocked by a teenage girl who looked at her with wide brown eyes head-tipped on one side, in a way that was all too familiar. Oh, hello there, offered Ellen, trying to be cheerful yet keen to move on. Hello, replied the girl, eyeing her increasingly quizzically. I'm Simone, and I'm thirteen and three-quarters. How lovely, replied Ellen, beginning to feel a little anxious that the girl might recognise her and relay her identity to the Pirate Queen. This could really put a harpoon in the iron warhorse leg. Almost literally. Do I know you from somewhere? inquired the girl, a frown beginning to crease her forehead. Nope, no siree. Definitely never been here or seen you before, stuttered Ellen, who as a general rule found it almost impossible to lie and was feeling her face reddened by the second. Anyway, uh, no time to talk. I have to help these gentlemen get your bastingy working again. Uh, bye for now and with that she strode confidently off towards the inventors, hoping this would placate the girl. However, she was not easily put off, and began to follow after her. No, I'm really sure I know you from somewhere. Don't you have a dark-haired friend? No, nope, no friends at all, actually. I make a point of being very unfriendly, gobbled Ellen, reddening further, and walking even quicker to try and shake her off. Ellen, called Fitch, rather unhelpfully from somewhere behind them, causing them both to turn around to see the tall mercenary stomping towards them. "'Is this girl bothering you?' "'Ellen!' snapped the girl excitedly, whirling to look back at the red-faced pilot. But rather than getting angry and alerting the other pirates, she instead clapped her hands excitedly and jumped up and down with what gave every appearance of being glee. "'Oh, you came back! You
1: came back! I knew you would! "'Wait till I tell Mummy!' I'd really
0: rather you didn't, exclaimed Ellen, making frantic motions with her hands to shush her. I, I'm sure she wouldn't be very happy with me. Oh, nonsense, admonished Simone. She thought it was all highly exciting. Best thing that's happened for ages. By this point, and panting slightly, Fitchard had caught up with them both, his mechanical arm waving the Martian plasma gun around somewhat wildly. Do you need me to incapacitate her? He wheezed through panting breaths. The ladies both looked at him wide-eyed, and Ellen held up her arms to prevent him taking any violent action. No, no, it's fine, Fitch. I think everything is okay. It's more than okay, exclaimed Simone. This is the best day ever. And with that, she leant forward and gave Ellen the second biggest hug she'd ever experienced. Relieved, and seeing Fitch, and his clockwork arm, stand down, Ellen returned the hug and for a few moments she recalled the last time she'd shared a hug with another dark-skinned woman. I really must tell Mummy you're here, continued Simone, not noticing the small tear in the corner of Ellen's eye. She knows you're my total hero. I even name my boat after you. Boat? In the desert? growled Fitch. But before he could fall further, Ellen held a finger to her lips. Fortunately, he had the sense to pipe down. It's a long story, but uh, this girl's always wanted to be a sailor, if I recall correctly. Simone smiled in return and seemed rather overcome with emotion herself. She turned as if to head back to the other pirates, but Ellen caught her arm. Uh, uh, wait just a bit, won't you? she asked the girl. I really need to speak with my friends about getting this, er uh, thing working again. She swept her arm to indicate the crater-like ring of sand-covered contraptions all around them which Lushthorpe and Sneer were also eyeballing with increasing despair. In fact, at this point, Lushthorpe, who was prone to outbursts of wailing despair, let out a, Oh, we'll never get this pile of crap working in a month of Sundays. Ellen turned back to the girl with a shrug intended to convey, See what I have to put up with? The girl appeared to be ready to acknowledge this, but her eyes still gleamed with excitement, albeit mildly abated. You will come and see my boat, she pleaded. Of course, we just have to come up with some sort of plan to fix the ear moo, and it's not exactly got off to a good start. She turned to go, hoping that the girl might finally leave them to it. However, something Ellen had said seemed to have caused her to furrow her brow once again. Ear moo? she asked. Yes, dear, interrupted Lushthorpe in only a mildly patronising way as he joined the group. It's going to take all of my many, many years of quite brilliant engineering brilliance to understand how to get this
1: contraption anywhere near working again.
0: He gave out another wail and clutched his head in exasperation. Ear moo, repeated Simone, shaking her head in a typically teenage way.
1: Yes, dear, ear moo. It stands for earth to moo.
0: Simone cut him off with a sharp wave of her slender arm. I know what ear moo stands for, thank you very much, she muttered with teenage petulance, her eyes wide with indignation. Oh, good, good, interjected Ellen, stepping in before Simone went full pirate child on Lushtop's rear end. Uh, but perhaps you could help us with all this. I was hoping someone could. This seemed to placate Simone a little, but she was still clearly put out. She folded her arms in continued annoyance. I'm sure we really don't need this little girl's help, added Lushthorpe very unhelpfully. We're going to need tools and engineers and
1: years and years of experience to even start on this thing.
0: He swept his arm to indicate the sheer scale of the ruins and hence the task ahead. But Simone was having none of it. ''Well, if you actually listen to me for a minute, then I better tell you that this thing...'' She swept her arm, obviously mocking Lushthorpe's melodramatics. He looked ready to explode, but before he could, she continued, "Isn't the ear moo at all?'' With this pronouncement, Lushthorpe's eyes nearly popped out of his head, and Fitch was heard to offer a not-too-subtle, ''Huh?'' barely under his breath. Ellen grabbed Simone with both arms. What did you just say? This? She swept her eyes this time, as Ellen was pinning her arms to her side. Isn't the ear moo? It's just a decoy to make everybody think it's out of action. Well, well if this isn't the transporter, where is it? Spluttered Lushthorpe, utterly furious that some mere teenager knew more about it than him. Well, Simone started, glad to be getting one over on the pompous man. If you are nice to me, I might just show you. Oh, Simone, don't listen to him. He's just having a bad week, chortled Ellen, hoping that this would placate the girl. Show us where the ear moo is, and then I promise I'll come and look at your boat. The girl looked at Lushthorpe, who had the sense to bite his tongue, at Ellen, at Lushthorpe, and back at Ellen again, before a smile finally crept over her face. Oh, goody, you're going to love it. She gave Ellen another bear hug. The boat, that is, the other thing is boring, she added, for Lushthorpe's benefit. And it seemed that the deal was sealed. So, led by Simone, the little gang of Ellen, Fitch, Lushthorpe, Mrs Tickle and the snivelling Sneer made their way amongst the wreckage and sand dunes of the pirate lair until they came to a big, roughly circular pile of sand. Here Simone brought them to a halt, and without much enthusiasm announced, Here it is. Now who wants to see my boat? I don't see it, sneered Sneer in his rat-like voice. However, his tones were so dull that no one seemed to hear him.
1: I don't see it,
0: wailed Lushthorpe, whom it was impossible not to hear. I just said that murmured Sneer, but again no one seemed to notice. "'It's underneath, Thilly,' tutted Simone. "'Give me a hand.' And with that, she found the edge of a tarpaulin and began to pull it up. Fitch and Ellen stepped forward to help, and it turned out that what they thought was a mound of sand was actually only a light coating of sand on canvas, and as they pulled on the sheets, they came away fairly easily to reveal shining equipment underneath." With some effort, after 10 minutes or so, the whole edifice was revealed. There was a lot of complicated-looking machinery. Dials, pipes, a couple of brass telescopes, valves and wires, all in reasonably good order considering they were at least half a century old. In the centre of it all was a circle of exotic-looking, shimmering material. However, its diminutive size, roughly 6 feet in diameter, caused Lushtop to look rather worried. It's rather small, isn't it? He moaned. At this, Simone looked rather offended. Uh, yes, I I suppose I'd imagined it bigger, conceded Ellen. But at least it looks like it might work. If only we knew how. I know how, muttered a dull voice. However, no one seemed to hear. Looks pretty complicated, growled Fitch, looking at the nearest Baroque control panel. "'It's easy enough if you know how,' came the dull muttering again. "'Fiendishly difficult!' wailed Lushthorpe, also examining some of the contraptions. "'It it really isn't,' came a rat-like voice. "'Well, I've no idea,' chipped in Ellen. "'You've seen it operate, Fitch. Any clues where to start?' "'I know where to start,' came the unremarkable, Sneery voice again. Not a chuffing clue, growled Fitch. I was rather preoccupied the last time I saw one of these. I thought our scientist friend here was supposed to be good at this stuff. I know how it works, muttered Sneer once again in his utterly morbid tones.
1: Well, I'm
0: sure if we could disassemble it to its bare components and make some notes, started Lushthorpe. "'sounding close to utter exasperation. "'There's really no need,' sneered Sneer, "'managing to sound both dull and vexed at the same time. "'Not sure we've got time for this,' interjected Ellen. "'At this point, Mrs Tickle also offered her tuppence halfpenny "'with a loud meow and pointed one paw up at the sky, "'where the moon was indeed visible.'
1: Oh, the moon is nigh. Oh, we'll never get it disassembled, examined, documented and reassembled in time.
0: Wailed Lushthorpe with utter despondency.
1: We must start dismantling it now, destructively if necessary.
0: Now you're talking, approved Fitch, readying his plasma rifle. No, really, don't do that. Semi exclaimed Sneer, who by this time was looking at them all, wondering why they didn't seem to be acknowledging him. "'Oh, it would take too long,' chipped in Ellen, beginning to sound flustered. "'I know how to work it!' yelled Sneer, as loud as he could possibly manage, which wasn't very loud and was certainly still very monotonous, but it was enough to cause everyone else present to jump, having not even realised he was there. "'Where did you come from?' demanded Fitch. "'I've been here all the time.' Why can't you hear me? Oh, sorry, Sneer, we had no idea you were still with us, added Ellen, also surprised, but realising that he was probably their only hope. Does anyone want to see my boat now? chirped Simone. Not now, replied everyone, including Sneer, and they began to argue loudly amongst themselves. Well, faith, gratitude, huffed Simone, folding her arms again. At this point in the debacle, Mrs Tickle jumped up into Ellen's arms and meowed loudly a second time. This seemed to break the air of acrimony, and Ellen realised that it was time for someone to take control, and that someone was pretty much going to have to be her. She held up an arm for quiet, and when it was finally acknowledged, she laid out the plan as she saw it. Right, Steer, Snook, whatever your name is, and wherever you just appeared from, show Sir Grenville how to work the contraption. Before Lushthorpe could react, she added, Sir Grenville, we need you to then replicate the transmitter on a bigger scale. So your understanding is vitally important to this whole proceeding. Fortunately, Lushthorpe's ego seemed mollified by this. So she turned to the other man in the ensemble. Fitch, we need your military brain to help work out what to send up and in what order, considering we've only got pi r squared of about three feet to play with. Fitch looked confused by the maths initially, but soon twigged what she was on about, so nodded his agreement. Oh, and we need to find our spacesuits, and anything else here to make more, as presumably we're going to be arriving in vacuum. And what will you be doing? inquired Lushthorpe, only half interested, as Sneer was already beginning to pore over the controls, and he didn't want to miss anything vital. Oh, Mrs Tickler and I have a very important mission. What that? asked Simone, who was still standing with her arms folded. We're going to look at a boat, chortled Ellen with a little wink. The smile that came over Simone's face was certainly something to behold. Unfortunately, their general smugness at having come up with a half-decent plan was interrupted by the arrival on the scene of Captain Smegerton, clearly half-cut and therefore even more randomly very loud than usual. Oh, sorry to interrupt, he semi-bellowed, But my chaps have observed some unidentified wallers approaching Rapido from the east and west and the east. (laughs) Thought it was best to get all hands on the deck. Far, 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 far. Oh, goodness, muttered Ellen, trying to take in the news. Everyone continue with what needs doing for now. We only have a couple of hours before we lose the moon. I can think and fight, offered Fitch. No, let's hope that's not necessary. It might be the cavalry, after all. From two directions? Oh, well, we'll find out, won't we? And with that, Ellen, Fitch and Mrs Tickle made off after the, uh, slightly swaying Smegaton to see who, or what, was on its way to join them. At the far end of the compound, near where the pirate's dingy living quarters were located, was a watchtower that had clearly seen better days. This is where they all headed whilst the desert hamsters and pirates scuttled all around them, with varying levels of inebriation to take up defensive positions. Fitch, with Ellen right on his elbow, was first at the top of the tower, and his arm took the binoculars from one of Smegerton's troop without really asking. Still, none of them, seasoned troops that they were, seemed keen to argue with a six foot eight, battle scarred gentleman with a mechanical arm. And they were wise not to. Fitch scanned both east and then west for a good minute in each direction, before handing the binoculars on to Ellen. Well, I'm no great expert, he started, but I would say that eastwards is a bizarre collection of exotic contraptions, like of which I have never seen in all my days, proceeding with undue haste that could be deemed aggressive towards our position in determined fashion. Ellen gulped, taking in this intimidating scenario. And to the West? she inquired, hardly daring to think as she brought the binoculars up to bear, hoping it wouldn't be so bad. Martians, stated Fitch with utter certainty. Indeed, he was right on the money. Ellen observed the Western approaches first, and it was clearly a collection of tripods and war wheels, the likes of which she also had never seen before. The sight of this made her hands tremble so hard that it was very difficult to bring the binoculars into focus as she swung them around to the east to try and make out the other group. When she eventually got the lenses into focus, she gave out a little whoop. What do you see? asked Fitch, intrigued by her response. Oh, something good, she started. Mind sharing? I don't mind at all, she grinned handing the eyeglasses back to the Albion sentry. La caravane is coming to our aid. Well now, what a day that's been. It seems my British mother, I mean, uh, my dear Mumsy, really is my mother after all. That plus faggots once again for tea. I can hardly contain my excitement. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. So there's just time for me to say, good night, New Orleans. I wish you dreams of a bright future. by copyright to Darren Cavan All the music was composed and played by Charlotte Savica For more information about Tales of New Albion please go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook Tales of New Albion is a monkey teaspoon production Albion Radiophonic.